Hey everybody, welcome to Author AK. Today I'm really happy because tomorrow's Veterans Day and today I have a veteran that I'm going to be talking to, Jeff Clark. So the veterans of the Air Force, I feel I'm a veteran of the Air Force, even though I was in the Army because I spent the first entire 17 years of my life in an Air Force environment with my father who was on a, always in SAC, so he was always gone, and especially during Vietnam. So uh, thank you very much, Jeff, for taking the time, and thank you for your service. Yeah, so tell people about yourself. Yeah, man, as you said, Air Force veteran. I did uh, 12 years in the Air Force, uh, worked in logistics, supply chain, um, did a couple of joint uh, tours with the Army and one with the Army and the Navy at the same time. Um, so I medically retired in 2017. Mm-hmm. Um, Air Force broke my back and broke my shoulders, and they just had enough of me. I said, okay, well. <laughs> At least they retired me, you know, instead of just yeah. kicking me out the door. So um, I'm like any other retiree as far as benefits go. So, yeah, I did 12 years there, came back um, mm-hmm. roughly eight months later and joined the civil service with the Air Force. And I've been with the civil service ever since. Excellent. So I have to ask you a question. I already know the answer to this, by the way, but I'm going to ask you anyways. <laughs> so when you went on a fort... How was the food different than the Air Force Base mess halls? <laughs> um, so it it, lo- it looked very similar. You yes. Know, a, a dining facility, a mess hall, yeah. chow hall, whatever you want to call it. Very similar structures and, and layout, you know. Uh, um, so that wasn't much different. Um, the taste was different. But when I got to Fort Sam Houston, that's when President Obama and Michelle Obama the first lady had just passed a bunch of like food laws and oh, okay. the first lady was really into um, like healthy eating for kids mm-hmm. and school programs and all that stuff. Well, I guess the army had grabbed onto some of that. So like their whole menu changed and they went like salt free and all this stuff. So like, Oh no, it was super bland, but also they were building Fort Sam Houston became joint base San Antonio. So they built a big air force built dining facility for like the campus there for Mm -hmm. all the students that we could go use. But um, like once the soldiers found out about it and they got their first (laughs) taste of it, they're like, our food didn't, doesn't just suck. It really sucks. Like to the point where the garrison commander was like, If I catch soldiers in that dining facility yeah. and you and you stop using the garrison dining facility, yeah. it's like you're going to get paperwork. <laughs> I felt so bad for him because I ate at the dining facility yeah. just before they changed the menu. And I was like, you know, the, the army food's not bad. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm not bad. I'm not going to complain. Yeah. Um, but, but then they changed it. And I felt real bad because I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> uh, yeah. They're, uh, I, 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 tell you, I knew some cooks. My dad, when I went in the army, he said, son, he says, let me give you a little bit of advice. Uh, be nice to the supply sergeant. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, be nice to the medics and be nice mm-hmm. to the cooks. So yeah. and I had a scout platoon and we had Bradley fighting vehicles and we always had, you know, a medic attached to the platoon or we'd be out and uh, we're like, Hey, you want to go out and, you know, Fire the twenty-five millimeter, you know. 
Yeah. They loved it. And and we took the cooks out with us. We take supply guys out because if I, if I lost anything, I was good to go. If my guys were hung over, they got an mm-hmm. IV. Right. Yep. Um, so, so I do appreciate exact definitely what those guys do, but we love taking them out there and let them have a little bit of fun and shoot you know, mm-hmm. some brands down range and everything. So I do love that. So you got, you got out of the air force, you went into civil service yep. and then you decided to write a book. <laughs> yeah. So actually I wanted to write, um, on like active duty and mm-hmm. just finding the time. And then the last two years were pretty stressful. Um, as they were going through the medical board process. So yep. it was, just wasn't something that was on my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I got out and doing civil service for almost two years before I was like, okay, I'm going to try to do this. Um, and I started putting together, you know, kind of a um, nonfiction leadership book. That was kind of the first thing I wanted to do. I mm-hmm. wanted to get that one book kind of out of me that I felt was necessary. Mm-hmm. Like if I had to hang my legacy you know, my entire author career on one book, I wanted it to be something that when my kids read it, my grandkids read it, like it was value added. It wasn't just entertainment. So I did nonfiction first. Oh, nice. Um, So that was real important to me. And I had just won a big Air Force level award. It was leadership centric. So I felt like I had a lot that I wanted to kind of document and get out and also Mm -hmm. kind of thank people for it. Like a show of appreciation. Like I wrote this book based upon the things that I learned the successes that I had with other teammates and it wasn't, it wasn't just, you know, me polishing the Chrome on my own award, you know, it was, it was kind of a thank you to everybody. And again, Mm -hmm. if if I only got a chance to write one book, I wanted it to be one that had maximum impact and and confessed a lot of people. So um, I wrote that, I I pitched it around, I got a publishing deal and then COVID hit. Ah. So COVID kind of delayed things a little. Um, so it took it took like a year and a half by the time I turned it in and we did edits and, and got through that big squeaky mm-hmm. wheel publishing before it, it saw the light of day in 2022. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. So you bring up a good point. I think that's what the military does is one of the aspects of the people, even no matter what you do, what really rank you are. You build leadership traits because you're yeah. you're going to be put in a position where you're going to have to make a decision, and you're going to have to go through that 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 chain of events in your mind to come up with that decision. And sometimes it, it better be quick, like you know, spot yeah. on. I mean, so I think that's and I, so I, I do like when uh, ex-military do write leadership book because it comes from doing, seeing, and knowing. Right. And having been the, the other end of somebody else's leadership that you say, that's a good trait. I'm going to take that on as myself and I want to really capitalize on that. So yeah, exactly. uh, kudos for exactly. writing that book. Well, kudos for you. writing that book. Yeah. Excellent. Now. So now what are you doing? <laughs> you wrote, uh, so now, um, now I've, I've been working on some fiction, um, um stuff for a while uh, now. Right. Um, I had a fiction book back when I pitched around my leadership book mm. and um, I'm glad that the publisher wanted it, but they wanted to do the nonfiction first and I, you know, to get the contract I agreed to that. Right. Um, I'm glad that happened like that because my fiction was not ready. It was not, mm-hmm. it, it would have been a bad move on right. my part right. um, to put it out and that'd be my first 
fiction mm. book because I knew very little. And I think it would not have been a good product. Right. Um, I'm sure the publisher would have shined it up, but not to the degree that I think it probably, you know, needed to be, you know, to be a real, real impact. And since then, I've learned a lot about writing. I've been to several conferences. I've mm. met a lot of other authors and other veterans that are in fiction. And mm. um, so what I'm doing now is really polishing that craft. I have the first book done. It's called Acts of Lies. Mm. And it's finished and I've got it out there on submission right now. So I'm trying to find an agent, trying to find a publisher for that. Okay. And then, um, working on other fiction ideas, books in the series and stuff like that. So let's, let's, so you're taking, you're going from a leadership book, nonfiction, right? To fiction, which is, that's, that's a little, that's, I mean, that's a lot of your progression because a lot of stuff in fiction is real. You know, I mean, you come from that. Yeah, yeah. It's not so fiction. In right. Of, you know, a lot of like guys like Mark Grady, Brad Thor, mm. those guys do a lot of research and they take a lot of real things and yeah. put them into the books and build a fiction story around them. Mm. Tom Clancy was maybe one of the best. Yep. Because, you know, the hunt for around October was about a Russian submarine with breakthrough technology that nobody believed existed. And right. It did. You know, yeah, some, they, they thought he had a spy. They thought he had a, uh, a leak inside yeah. the Department of the Navy because he was a, he yeah. was an insurance salesman. I mean, yes. that's what he did. Uh, so yes. I, I love that book. It was book. legit. Yeah, it was everything. I, I, I read that book and I was in the Army as an E6 and I called the Navy recruiter in Frankfurt, Germany said, I want to join the Navy. He goes, well, you'll lose a rank or two. And I'm going, eh, goodbye. <laughs> All right, I don't want to maybe <laughs> yeah. that bad. Well, hold on, I don't want to lose any money. <laughs> hold on, uh, that's, you know, hold on now. I don't want to do that. Uh, yeah, but like, yeah, like you said, so much of fiction is based around fact. Mm-hmm. Or, like in Brad Thor's case, he seems to almost be able to predict the future of what's going to happen. And yeah. those kind of minds like that, they can see things coming and can use their research to to strategize. You know, Brad mm-hmm. Thor's consulted with the Pentagon before on. Mm-hmm on strategy and, and mm. conflict and he's got no military experience at all, but he just, he gets that deep into right. his work that, um, you know, he's got a big brain. And I think that's, that's a sign of what fiction and at least in military mm. espionage tradecraft mm. type of fiction. I think a lot of authors have really nailed that down to where they can build a story around facts. And then you don't really know what you're reading is true or false. Yeah, I do that. I I I, uh, I do a lot of research for my books because I want the technology to seem like it's real, or I expand upon technology that's out there from nanobots to uh, uh, AI to satellite technology and imaging and capabilities of that. I was talking to somebody at a book signing. We were talking about my books, and he goes, "Oh, so you're like an early Tom Clancy?" I was like, well, "You can't beat that." Take it. <laughs> Yeah, I'll take that. So, let, so what's the name of your leadership book? Uh, Hear these truths: the ultimate guide to building your leadership algorithm. And so, what do you, is it like? Uh, things to do. Talk us through the the process. How you how you wrote that? So, um, when I first wrote it, I didn't have a title. I really didn't know what it was. It was just like one of those truthful, honest leadership books where it was like my whole purpose of the book was like. 
when leadership flipped for me and I really started to understand it was when I looked in the mirror and I admitted to myself where some of my faults were and some of my downfalls were mm -hmm. and some of the things that I really needed to do better. Um, and once I did that and I had a humble opinion about myself yep, and it, it flipped for me. So that was really what the book was all about. But it sounded too preachy. It sounded like I was saying all these awesome things that I did right. Mm -hmm. it, and it read more like an autobiography almost. Um, and I didn't like that. I wanted it to right. be a tool that people could pick up. And if they just flipped to sh chapter 16, there's kind of a topic that it was centered around. They could read it, take something away from it, and they could close it if they wanted to. Mm -hmm. So while I was figuring out the second, the subtitle, because in, in a lot of times in nonfiction, you'll have a subtitle. It just won't be a regular yeah. title. Right. Um, I ran across the word algorithm when I was on LinkedIn one day and looked up what an algorithm was. And it's basically an input into a set of processes and then you get an output. And I thought, well, that's kind of how, mm -hmm. how leadership works, you know? And yeah. then that's when I thought about it. I was like, that's how I write the book. I write it in like three or four chunks. Effort plus process equals progress. And that's when it just changed for me. And then I went and reorganized the book into effort, you know, processes mm -hmm. and progress because i wanted right. it to focus on the things you do the the ways you do them and then the progress that you make because we all know that the progress that you make isn't necessarily what you wanted the output to be and even if it is there's still more work to be done sure. so i didn't want it to be an all-encompassing like okay this is it then i start over no you don't mm -hmm. um so that that progress part of the book is maybe the most important because it's like, okay, I have a product that is a result. What mm -hmm. do I do with it? I like it or I hate it. There's so much work to be done. So t for me, that's when the book came full circle and I really had the vision for it. And um, so when I turned it back into the publisher and I said, this is it, this is the algorithm, this is how I'm going to market it. They were like, this is, this is brilliant. We love mm -hmm. this. So, and everybody I kicked it to, um, really liked it i even have it on the back of my coin that i made um, oh, the awesome. algorithm and i just think it it really connected with the tone of the book the honesty of it and, and what you needed to do next so um mm -hmm. yeah effort plus progress equals pro or process equals progress and that's how it that's how it formed so when in the air force did you realize that i'm a leader right i mean is it like a, they put you in a position where you had responsibility? I know in the Army, you, you, how that works, but in the Air Force, how does that work? So when, you're an e, when you become an E-4 in the Air Force, you can mm -hmm. technically start um, officially leading things. Mm -hmm. um, so you're a senior airman, I believe it's a, a specialist in the mm -hmm. Army. Mm -hmm. um, and you can go to what they call as Airman Leadership School. And that's your first professional development school where they say, okay, this is kind of supervisor 101. This is leadership. This is Air Force doctrine. These are things you need to know before you become an NCO, but you can use them now as you start to supervise. Mm -hmm. So for me, that was kind of when I realized like, oh, okay, I can actually be a decent individual and not boss people around, but I can kind of mm -hmm. lead them to do cool things and, right. and, and be successful themselves. So I volunteered for a special duty as an instructor teaching at my schoolhouse for my career field. And that's when it kind of clicked for me because when you walk into a classroom full of students, 
They don't see your rank or anything like that. They just, you're mm -hmm. the teacher. You're the instructor. Yep. They're the guy you're listening to. You're supposed to know everything. You can't say things wrong. And, and that's when it, for me, it clicked. And I was like, okay, um, these people actually, they're looking at me mm -hmm. for guidance, for teaching, for, to lead them. And that's when it really kind of clicked for me. And I was probably in five years when that moment really happened. Mm -hmm. Yeah, similar to an army. Uh, E4 could be a specialist or it could be a corporal. A corporal yeah. is more from yeah, a leadership yeah, perspective, right. an NCO, sort of, uh, really an NCO. Uh, and then you move up you know, through sergeant. They used to have spec 5, spec 6, spec 7, I think. Uh, but they yeah. get away with that because it was more specialized. Uh, now it's, you go to, you know, you go to, we, at the time I was uh, PLDC or PNOC primary, which was what you went to. Uh, then as you progress, you went to basic NCO Academy and then you went to advanced NCO Academy. Then you become a senior NCO uh, where you do different traits. All, all the schools are different. More PLDC was more for a, uh, you know, field or combat or, or uh, training individuals from a, from a small team, small unit. And then you build yeah. up to, you know, section, platoon, company, troop, whatever you want to do. And so, yeah, th mm -hmm. that, that's very similar. So you, you, you figured, okay, hey, you know what? I could be an effective leader, right? And I can, I can do that. And then you, you, you're in the Air Force. And so did you continue? I, I was an instructor in the Army, too. I taught armor school for a while. Uh, so can you... Then after, did you maintain always be a, a trainer then, or did you decide I want because your career said, oh no, you need to do this from a progression perspective? Yeah, so it was a four year controlled tour, so you could only do it for four years. Mm -hmm. But I was at Shepherd Air Force Base in Texas, and they were doing a brand thing where they were moving all the medical training down to San Antonio. Mm -hmm. So my schoolhouse was one of the last to move down to San Antonio. But when we got there, and, you know, Fort Sam Houston, and they stood up the joint base, they stood up the campus, um, they really hit people up and said, do you want to do a new, like, a new contract, basically, mm -hmm. where you do mm -hmm. another four years? Mm -hmm. And I said no. I loved the job, but I said no because um, in my career field, like, if you're gone close to – you're out of the career field for, like, mm -hmm. seven years, um, they don't want you back necessarily. Right. So then we might force you to cross train. Well, if I did that, I was going to be at like six and some change. And I thought, man, that's probably too long for me to be out of it. And I really wanted to go back in and, and be back in like a hospital. Uh, and I wanted to deploy. I wanted to go overseas. I wanted to mm -hmm. do some other things. Mm -hmm. So I said, no, I did two and a half more years, finished off my tour. I agreed to stay just a little longer to help out. Mm -hmm. Um, because again, the that's leadership. New. That's leadership. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I took kind of a, I don't want to say a demotion, but I could. I took kind of like a um, position demotion mm -hmm. in order to let like the next phase of instructors take my spot, to where I could stand behind them and say, "Hey, this do this," or "Hey, mm -hmm. this is how I recommend it." So I spent the last year and a half of that. Being a support instructor for the new wave of instructors that are going to be there for the next four years, Army mm -hmm. and Air Force. So right. um, I did that. And then my career field said, hey, we'll help you on your next assignment. Well, then we got a new career field chief, an E9. And she was like, nope, I don't do favors for instructors. So sorry, you're stuck in San Antonio. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, <laughs> San Antonio is not the worst place. Like yeah. we didn't mind South Texas. And yeah. Um, 
So I went, I had two options, basically go over to the Air Force Hospital on the other mm-hmm. side of town or go to, um, you know, Brooks Army Medical Center right there down the road. So I said, well, I, I like doing this joint thing. Let me go over to the hospital. Mm-hmm. So I went over to the hospital and the Army stuck me upstairs on the operating room floor as their supply sergeant, essentially. Oh, and wow. I know nothing about the operating room. I, I know very little about it. I know a lot right. more now, but. Um, as long as they didn't give I'm you a scalpel. There a couple of months. <laughs> yeah, like, hey man, don't don't make me see any blood. Like we're good. Like I'll do whatever y'all need, whatever supplies you need. I'll, I'll, I'll give it to you out the I'll I'll get through the you. door. Through the door. Yeah, just don't ask me to come in there and see that stuff. Yeah, but um, I only did that for a few months, and then they pulled me downstairs to the basement to like supply chain headquarters, and they had a vacancy in the warehouse. They said we got this. 13,000 square foot warehouse plus another warehouse and 30 people. And we need like an awesome supervisor. And I was like, Hey, I don't, I don't know how to tell you this, but I don't have like a ton of supervisory experience. I just came yeah. from the schoolhouse teaching. Right. Like, you were marching 40 to 60 students around every six weeks. Yeah. Like, you've got plenty of experience. So they just gave me the keys to the warehouse and said, don't screw it up. Oh, so wow. I had air force or air force airmen, Army soldiers, yeah. a few NCOs, contractors, civilians. I had like thirty mm. something people in there, and my job was just to not screw it up. And um, that was probably the highlight of my career because it was literally joint in all facets of the word, mm. um, getting the mission done so that all these surgeries can be done. We took care of the wounded warrior center that was across the street and center okay. for the intrepid. Like yeah. seeing a package like only like this big come in that had a artificial foot in it that was fifty thousand dollars custom made for a soldier that was over in afghanistan who Mm. is just trying to get his life back together he's trying to Mm. learn to walk again and knowing that impact was super humbling oh yeah and it was probably probably the highlight of my career just because of what it served and the mission we had and the the level of importance of it like if, if we misplaced that package that guy down the street, you know, mm. that sergeant who's my peer, right? Who who is depending upon me to get that mm. in so he can learn to walk again, so he can go back to work, so he can rejoin his family, et cetera, et yep. cetera. And that that's a that's a big responsibility. So um, that was that was pretty cool. That was probably the highlight of my career after I did the instructor duty. So then I was in San Antonio for another close to two years mm. doing that. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people don't realize that you know when you see. You know, news and everything. It's always you know the infantryman or the armor or the helicopter or the pilots and everything. But there is not a way in the world any way that would be possible without logistics, right? Yeah, Moving that from the manufacturer all the way up to where they're putting it in a magazine, the bullets, right? Yeah. Or it's like everybody's job is important in the military. Every aspect of it, no matter what you do. It's, it is very symbiotic where everybody has to do their job or something's not going to be right. And then you oh, yeah. see a lot of those when people fail to do what they're supposed to do, that they see, you see the repercussions, right? Uh, it's, mm-hmm. it's very evident when you, when you see those. So, so how do you write? You write like, like you have to be in a sterile environment. Do you, you can be ambient noise, like get, get away kids. You know, how, when do you, when, or when do you find time? Um, so like juggling um juggling social media doing podcast mm-hmm. interviews like this and then doing my own podcast mm-hmm. i found that i gotta have a schedule so um 
Like I'm not really recording a lot of podcasts these days. In November and December, I'm going to resume again mm-hmm. in January. Mm-hmm. So November and December are dedicated to um, outlining some more books and getting mm-hmm. some more ideas done and working on book number two. Um, and uh, what I try to do is every day I try to write, you know, like a thousand words. Mm-hmm. Um, if I can see, it's get, about get, the get normal to, normal thing. Really, people I yeah. talk to, that's about. If I can get closer right. to 2,000 words, that's more ideal. But mm-hmm. between 1,000 and 1,500 words is like one chapter for me, roughly. Mm-hmm. So if I can do that, even if it's not a chapter, it's like I write 500 words in this chapter, and then I move down, and I write like another 400 in this one. Because just because I'm trying to build the story, that's more yeah. important to me than trying to finish a chapter. Like I want to build the story. And then I can always come back later and say, I'm building more mm-hmm. dialogue, blah, 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 whatever. Um, so I just tried to do that four to five days out of the week. That's four to 6,000 words, maybe mm-hmm. closer to seven or 8,000. And if I do that every week, you know, you could write 20,000 words a month mm-hmm. if you stick to that and you can mm-hmm. make that a goal. And out of a hundred thousand word book, mm-hmm. you know, you could easily get that done in a couple of months if you're dedicated mm-hmm. to it. And then on the weekend, sometimes I'll make up more. Right. Um, I just try to be really disciplined about it. And I have a desk here at home that I sit at. My laptop is connected to a bigger computer and a bigger screen. Mm -hmm. But then I can take that laptop up when I go smoke a cigar outside, hit their hammer on the keys by the pool. Um, I want to take it to the park, you know, to the library. So I like, I like the freedom of having the laptop, but I also like the kind of the academic of sitting behind the computer, looking at a big screen, that I have where I can, I can research on one side and have yep. the new manuscript on the other. Um, it just depends, man. I'm, I'm a weird guy when it comes to concentration. Sometimes I need dead silence. Yep. And then other times I got the record player behind me blaring yep. an old Metallica vinyl, you know? So <laughs> I, I, I don't, I like to have, uh, I'm probably ADD or something. I don't know. Uh, but I like to, I like to have a little bit of sound music. I like to listen mm-hmm. to music. Uh, when I write, it kind of helped me inspirationally wise. Um, I, I usually listen to country Western, but I like, I mean, I'm a product of the seventies and eighties and I like rock mm-hmm. and definitely like rock and roll. So, but I do I can't and, listen and, to anything that I have to pay attention to. Yeah. So if I, I, yeah. I can't put on a podcast. I can't put on a no. show. Um, I sometimes can put on, you know, football or baseball, mm. but I can't be that, into it so it can't be right. one of my teams you know so right um yep. i gotta be able to kind of disconnect from it a little bit because i can't be paying attention because even music sometimes like i'll be getting into it banging around on my <laughs> desk or something i um, just see your manuscript you go oh my god <laughs> <laughs> so yeah I, I can't be i can't i can't pay attention to it so i can't put on a podcast or anything like that necessarily. right yeah I, i'm i'm kind of same way and i i'll uh I like to work out in the morning, right? I'll do a walk, and so I come back, and I live in North Texas. I live in Dallas, so the weather's nice most of the time, or Allen, Texas, actually. And so I'll go out, and I'll sit out by the pool, you know, put my Bose little speaker out there, and I'll put some music on, and I'll just hammer away until the sun just beats me to death, right? Yeah. Um, and now in the wintertime, I like I'll sit do by the pool, too. Oh, I do. It's, it's, it's tranquil. Uh, yeah. and I'll, or I'll, you know, come back in my office here, you know, I got a big screen and I'll come in here and type. And I, again, I do a ton of research because I want, 
if I say there's a town or a road, there's a town or a road, and you can take a left or a right. And so you can almost Yeah, yeah, me too. It. I like to be – I use Google Maps a lot because mm-hmm. I like to be um, authentic in the name of, like, if I mention a town and then I mention mm-hmm. a street. Mm-hmm. Like, I want people to go onto Google Maps and be like, oh, I know exactly where he's talking about. Or, or oh, I've actually been there. So, like, that's right. authentic in what he said. So it's hard to travel there, but you can use things like Google Maps to, 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 to get the authenticity. It's not quite the same with being there you know, two feet right. on the ground, but you know, it, it, I think it helps the reader understand and connect to you a little. Right. I, I do. Uh, I, I like that because I, my first book, Flames of Deception, I mean, if you wanted to, if you could get to Russia, if you want to go to Russia, you could do the whole route of, of the team, right? From Moscow all the way through the oil fields of uh, Western Siberia down to uh, you know, the Black Sea and uh, uh, all these places if you wanted to do it, you know, but. Yeah, that's cool. Do not it, recommend yeah. going to Russia right now. No, not American, right now. But. <laughs> not right now. Not right now. It would not be right cool now. to do that. Yeah. So uh, how do you market? Uh, that's the, I think that's the hardest thing for authors is if you don't have a name that, you know, at the tip of somebody's tongue, it's hard to get out there. So what, what do you, what do you do? What, what's effective? Um, I think really getting the book into or getting a product into the hands of people who will um, will, will mention it, will say something, mm-hmm. will be an advocate for you. And the writing community tends to be um, pretty big advocates of each other, uh, yes. kind of unconditionally. Um, yes. But I think you also have to toot your own horn. And that is maybe the most difficult thing for a lot of authors to do because they don't want to do that. They mm-hmm. want to be more introverted behind the keyboard and they want to tell a story or they want to put their words down and then they want people to just enjoy it. And that's just not how it works. You have right. to be out there screaming to the top of the mountains. I wrote a book and you need to read mm-hmm. it. And that's difficult. So you have to use a combination of the different tools on social media, podcasts and other media, mm-hmm. blogs, volunteer to write articles for other websites and mm. and magazines if you can even get in there and there's a bunch of different writing magazines out there that people got to get on and then you got to go to conferences you know volunteer mm. to be on panels and mm. to speak because your publisher will do things to place you and sometimes they'll have a publicist that will help get you onto certain things but you have to carry a big a big part of that load mm. Um, I found a new conference that I'm going to go to this year. I think it's called a Texas author con. Um, what is that? It's, um, I think they're on like their third or fourth year. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a fiction thing. It looks like it's a little more geared towards, um, horror and mystery and suspense. So, mm-hmm. um, I'm hoping a lot of guys in the military and thriller, uh, espionage genre kind of start going. Um, I'm going to try to go it? this year. You know oh man, I don't remember. I want to say it's in the spring sometime. I, I'll go. I'll I'll be there. If you're gonna go, I'll be there. Yeah. Um I'll write it down. And they have a they have a Facebook page. And um, um and I'll see if I can't find it and send it that's to important. you. But um that's important of conferences. I'm, yeah, I'm gonna it's really important to go there and I'm going this year. Yeah, and so, so to talk to people and um I'm going to BoucherCon. I went to BoucherCon That's before. It, yeah. It's a really good one. Yeah. Really good one to go to. Um, but I think you got to get out there and do that too. And it's an expense, but mm-hmm. um, 
look at it like you have to network. That's probably your biggest thing. And if you can network before you publish, even though you kind of feel out of place, mm-hmm. like I'm not an author in this genre, I want to be. Well, that's mm-hmm. exactly what you need to be doing because the authors that are in that genre show up there. Like I met Connor Sullivan and Simon Jubay and Don Bentley at PouncherCon. Mm-hmm. I sat there and talked to Kyle Mills for hours. Like we mm-hmm. were best friends. We knew each other mm-hmm. forever. Mm-hmm. Um, and they all said the same thing. If you ever need something, you need to pick my brain, call me. If I'm not busy, I'll help you out where I can. You know, I have a busy right. schedule, but they don't, they don't shy from my time. And, um, I think you, you really have to do those things and try to try to market yourself. Cause that's, that's the only way you're going to do it. Yeah. I, I think I didn't realize that I've been writing for about a year and a half now, maybe yeah, year and a half, a little over a year and a half. And I didn't realize that probably till six months ago. Because, you know, you always try to keep stuff tight to the vest, right? Tight to the person. Um, but, I mean, I've interviewed a lot of folks, Kyle Mills and uh, just a ton of folks. And they all, all say the same thing. And it is, you know, you're not taking my readers from me, right? There's enough readers for everybody. Enough people yeah. want to read books. So yeah. very, they're very helpful. And I'll, and I'll do the same for anybody, right? Uh, I'll help you out whatever I can do. I love getting people on podcasts. Uh, because that's the way that I learn. It's the way that somebody may, in my predicament a year and a half, right now that I was a year and a half ago, maybe some, some you know, a little nugget will come out. And say, oh, you know, now I need to do that. And so I, mm-hmm. I use that. I use, you know, uh, TikTok. I, I call myself the walking author because I film myself walking and I'll just come up with like 30 seconds of something stupid. Uh, but may not be stupid to somebody else. Oh yeah, that's kind of cool. This guy's kind of crazy. Let's just check him out or walk, you know, on the, the podcast yeah, that's and what, Facebook and all that's that. That's what matters, man, is getting getting a following and getting people to support you. You know, I, I don't have all the time in the world to read. I, I try to read 20 plus books a yeah. year, but it's hard. Yeah. And I probably buy more than that because I book buy books from other authors or they send mm. them to me and I try yeah. to show my support of that. Yeah. Um, oftentimes I, I have to donate books, but I donate mm-hmm. books to people who, who can't have them or, or to other veterans at, yeah. the, at the local veterans center here. Yeah. Um, so I make sure that, you know, I saw it, I used it for what I could, um, or I read it and then I go give it to someone else. And then I help another individual broaden mm-hmm. their network. I've given tons of book away to the library. Matter of fact, I was walk- my wife and I were walking down one morning, walking, and this lady walks by me. And she turns around and she goes, "Are you that author?" And I, and I go, "Yes." Yeah. She goes, "Oh, I saw you on Facebook or whatever." <laughs> my my wife goes, "Oh no." She goes, go. your feet are not even <laughs> touching the ground right now. I go, "What feet?" I don't ever. I don't ever live that down either. I go, I say, "Hey, I'm the I author. Either. I'm the author from Allen." Yeah, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a big deal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, Jeff, it's been a pleasure talking to you and again. Uh, thank you for your service. Yes, sir. And what's the name of the book that people can buy right now? You can get Hear These Truths, The Ultimate Guide to Building Your Leadership Algorithm right now at all the major booksellers. Um, so if you want an autographed copy, I still have some copies mm-hmm. um, here. So you can hit me up on my website, okay. com and uh, send me a message and we can we can work that out for sure. And where else can people contact you if they just want to start following you, especially writers helping writers, right? Authors helping authors. So uh, go to my website, uh, jeffclarkofficial.com, and then I have the podcast and all my social media and my email contacts from there. 
and you can start following me, sending me messages. Mm -hmm. You can check out the podcast and other media things that I've done. And yeah, I'd be glad to link up with people and um, going to do some awesome stuff in 2024, a couple conferences, total archery challenge in South Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm hoping to link up with a lot of people next year and, and make some big moves. Yeah, that's that's my goal next year is, uh, you know, uh, it's going to launch something. <laughs> it's going to launch. Yeah. We'll see what happens. I'll plan to get my, other, my third book out in uh, fall, late fall next year. So, cool. Yeah, and we're so, going to talk soon. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, Jeff, it has been a pleasure. Uh, folks, if you didn't catch that, yes, I'm going to be on his podcast. Sure are. Here in a couple, uh, a couple weeks, right? A couple weeks. I'm practicing. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Jeff. Thanks a lot, man. Bye-bye. Yes, sir.